Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering, like, who's going to speak first? You, you talk, talk first, first, I talk first. first. Yeah. yeah. Wow, y'all are the worst. Anyway, yeah. Welcome, everyone, to the Star Wars Historians here on the Gazebo Effect podcast. I'm your host, David Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Luke Forney. Hi. And with us to cover and continue our rewatch series, Return of the Jedi, we actually not have one, but we have two guests, and I'm going to start Yeah, it's with... me. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, first off, it's my good friend, Brady Paul. Say hi, Brady. What's up, guys? That's not what he said to say, Brady. I <laughs> got to stick to the script. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we brought you onto this podcast. Right. I need to yeah. to learn to follow orders because that's what good soldiers do. Good soldiers follow orders. Mm, yeah, there we we'll go. We'll get to that and, much later. Right. Yes. And joining us also is... My twin brother, Daniel, who's our most frequent guest here on the Gazebo Effects podcast. You know what? At this point, you guys just need to add me to your podcast because I'm on so much that I really mm. should be a part of this show. That's how frequent mm. I am as a guest. You're on this podcast, mm. but we do not grant you the rank of permanent member. <laughs> permanent nice. <laughs> very, very good what? reference. <laughs> anyway, so fair. today, <laughs> so today we are talking about the the final segment, final episode of the original trilogy, which is of course Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. How did how how did everybody feel about it this time around? Did Did you like it? I did. Um... I was watching it with David just this morning and I, I took notes. I'm a huge note taker now. And so now any, anything that I watch, um, I'm going to take notes just to, for things that just popped out. And I wrote a lot of things down. And during the movie, I was kind of looking at David and I'm going, hmm. And he's like, what you thinking? And so it was kind of one of those things where when you rewatch a movie, especially it's been a while since I watched Return of the Jedi. But because I watched it, you know, I'm noticing things that I haven't noticed before. Or I'm getting reinforcement on things that I already believe, and so that for me, that's what this rewatch did for me. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really awesome. Um, Return of the Jedi's just always been one of my personal favorites, and I, looking back, have been talking to my dad, who actually introduced me to Star Wars, and I, th I think Return of the Jedi may have been the first Star Wars movie I watched. There's just when I think of Star Wars, those you know those images of, you know, Jabba's palace, those images of, you know, the awesome battle of Endor, oftentimes the first things that come to mind. Um, and same kind of same as you, Daniel, I hadn't watched it in a while. Um, it had been a hot minute. Um, but there was no shortage of, um, good feels on this, on this watch through as well. Yeah. I think for me, what I would say, is Luke has said of me that whenever I watch a movie, there's a good possibility, good chance that it moves up and becomes my favorite. 
within the moment. And while I won't necessarily say that is the best, I think I had a new hope as number two and I'm going to move it down to number three and put return of the Jedi over it just because I really, really loved seeing Luke Skywalker in this film being what I think a lot of people imagine him to be and what a lot of people imagine and wish that he could still be in the sequel trilogy, whether I agree with that or not. um, It's not really important for this conversation, but I think when we talk about, you know, what made people fall in love with star Wars, I think return of the Jedi, what it does really, really well is continue to enforce that. And I think this is a, beautiful conclusion to the trilogy yeah uh i i agree with those sentiments very much uh i think what we see in return of the jedi is kind of like the the first time that we really see star like the first time in the release of the movies that we get to see kind of like a a mature star wars film uh not just the characters are mature but also the storytelling is 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 direct and kind of it makes sense uh, and I would say that, uh, I would echo your, um, same things that you said before that this is, I think one of the best endings to a trilogy that there can be. I think revenge of the Sith is probably a better ending of a trilogy, no. but return of the Jedi is still fantastic. And likewise, I, I really enjoyed the film. Um, but didn't feel like, wasn't like super excited afterwards which is fine not everything needs to be your favorite uh but yeah i just thought i'd share that you know love this movie to death but like you said it's not really necessarily my favorite david yeah i think that's a good point and i was actually you answered your my question before i even asked it it was like would you say that it's a better conclusion the revenge of the sith and you said no but and I and I I think I agree with that uh, for sure in terms of conclusion. I just think as a as a film as a whole, I I think I just prefer Return of the Jedi more. Uh, and what I took from this film and what I felt afterward is different than what you felt, which is again, listeners, it is okay. Let's just say that it is okay. But when I watched this film and it ended, what I felt was man, I can't wait. And I wish that we had stories that came immediately after this time period mm-hmm. with Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And I know that that couldn't happen. And I'm not upset that it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that would have been a beautiful thing if possibly we could have had the world that is, you know, Disney plus original series that become right. TV shows, being able to carry that man. What, what would how would star wars look differently if we had what is happening now happen back then in 1983 yeah right uh yeah likewise i would say that whenever i ended and I'm, and brady and dan you can probably speak to this too but and because i don't know how many people are are able to really watch return of the jedi now without then immediately thinking about the sequels and so uh, I, I I think I've gone on record saying before, and I will say again, that I really do not hate the sequels, but after watching Return of the Jedi, 
it's really hard for me to consider their role and like like it's just episodes one through six are such a uh, tight kind of like group for a canon and so it's hard for me to then move past the ending of six and go into the sequels yeah i i 100 percent agree with that um i don't hate the sequels also um force awaken is probably for me in terms of what it was supposed to be that one is technically the best one um but the last jedi i i do love the last jedi um but it is weird jumping from one through six even with the anthology films i thought that going from solo to rogue one worked and rogue one into a new hope worked i don't know if six jumping all the way to seven really works based on that 30 year gap that we have right. in that. So that's just my thoughts. Yeah. And I think the general, the general tone of the end of return of the Jedi. And I think just kind of reflecting George Lucas's sentiments is it was, he was pretty content mm-hmm. with what he had done. Um, the success of four and five, um, five in particular being just like totally, uh, no one was really expecting it to be as great as it was. Um, and then it kind of just felt like return to the Jedi was just the cherry on top. Um, he kind of, he had established characters. He had, um, you know, there wasn't really, I mean, the most unexpected thing I think we got from, the characters is kind of like the first that we see of Luke Skywalker and he's, you know, in this black hooded robe and we're thinking, Whoa, you know, this guy has progressed for sure. Um, And, but as we get to the end of it, you know, really the, that last finale scene where there's, there's no dialogue. It's just a very uh, triumphant theme. Um, It just, breathes contentment you know all this bad stuff has happened my father who i knew there was good in has passed away um but still there's just that sense of you know we've right we fought the good fight you know and we're at the end of the road and we're okay with how things turned out and and kind of Um, on top of that just because well i think we (laughs) i i've always feel this terror between like within me just to just jump into a, a topic that I want to talk about that doesn't like relate to chronology. <laughs> and so I kind of, I want to start at the beginning of the movie, but I do also want to say that at the end of the movie, um, just not only is there that, like that long ending where the, there no words are needed and they're just rejoicing and things like that. But you also, I, I personally really love it because you get to see kind of there, there's different scenes showing the friendship of like, each of the different people like you see big or no, you don't see big she's dead um you see <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh poor uh, bigs what's his Colleague name I can't rib. remember wedge wedge yeah you see wedge you go. see uh chewy and lando kind of rejoicing and it's just it's just a real fun time it just like i don't know some people might consider it cheesy but i think it's heartwarming the the little cuts from people to people no, I absolutely agree with that because that because now we're kind of heading into the territory of talking through what are 
what are our favorite things about this film? And I think in terms of the rewatch series, that last scene in Return of the Jedi hits a little bit harder for me than I was even ready for, especially when we talk about characters such as Han and Lando, who we've seen in Solo, right? to where the line of just like, I never want to see you again happens. So then when we get to six, they're embracing because of victory over the empire. Mm. You see all these different kinds of characters who, you know, weren't really expressive of these kinds of emotions, but it's when you get to the empire has finally been defeated. Like victory has come for the Alliance and we can celebrate and so seeing that development happen throughout these films that we've recently just rewatched, this scene in Return of the Jedi hits differently. Another thing that I really, really enjoyed from this movie is the fact that in episode four, it was the trio, Luke, Han, Leia, with Chewbacca as well. Can't forget about Chewbacca. When we go to five, they're not together. They're split up. But we get back to six, and they come back together to end this trilogy. I think that's an amazing thing to see in this film and why I think I enjoyed it so much because everything was coming together. I I mean, I obviously love a lot more things, but Luke, what are some other things that you really, really enjoyed when watching this movie? Uh, So uh, I already already knew what my favorite scene was but we're saving that for near more near the end right yeah okay yeah. so i would say one of my uh favorite things that uh comes out of the rewatch series and then watching this one is and, <laughs> and it seems like every episode we invariably end up mentioning the sequels in some way which might actually be a, a, a point to their genius rather than their um their problematicness but uh i was i was thinking at the end how but you have the deaths uh, i'm just gonna stop saying that word of job of the hut of yoda of mm-hmm. kind of the emperor and of darth vader and really what you're seeing in this movie is the the end of these timelines of these people who have had a tremendous impact on history like I looked it up and Java canonically as was born like 600 years before the battle of Yavin. And for uh, Yoda, he says himself that he's like over 900 years in uh, return of the Jedi. And so you have these people who have had tremendous impact on history and then they're passing away. And so the connection to the sequels then is, you know, you can kind of understand whenever uh, Kylo says, let the past die, uh, kill it if you have to, because there are only a few things left from the old Jedi era. There's only a few things left from the Clone Wars that survived. Um, I mean, think about it. In episode one, kind of, we, he's not a main character, but you do see a younger Jabba. And so, and at the end, you see finally his comeuppance for all of his evil kind of deeds. 
And I, I really reflected on watching it this time how nasty of a character he really appears to be in this movie. And I thought that was really interesting. But from you, you have the series bookended by someone who's not even a particularly major character at all. But I don't know. For, some, for me, there's just this kind of profound, unexplainable thing about these long-living and, and really impactful characters who are dying in this movie and a new generation kind of take coming up to take their place. Yeah. I think for me, one of my favorite parts um, in this movie, and this might be Brady and David, your guys's answers. Hopefully it's not. So I'm going to try not to steal your moment, but um, Luke and Vader, mm-hmm. but more specifically Vader and his whole mentality when we start the film towards when we get to the end of the film. Um, we see him in the beginning um, kind of retaking his dominance in terms of his fearful presence when he's talking to... Um, who, who's that guy in, in the beginning of the film uh, at the Death Star? Does he have a name? Do we know his name? Are you talking about the officer? Yeah, that officer. He kind of... He kind of puts the fear back in him and is what we a little bit reminiscent of what we saw in a new hope Mm. and um then we see him when the emperor gets there now he's switched his focus to luke yeah and now his he's kind of asking about him you kind of have a you kind of suspect that he's kind of worried about him in a way and what's going to happen when he does come to me and have to turn over to the emperor? That is the part that I'm that I was curious to see that play out. And throughout that, finding out, feeling him through the force, and also going down to the moon, having a conversation with him, his the wheels in his mind are spinning, right? About um, doing the right thing, but he, in a way, he feels like he can't because he feels like he's stuck. And he feels like nothing can, nothing good can happen from him changing. And he feels like it's too late. So that kind of dynamic of Luke and Vader um, with Luke trying everything in his power to try to save his father, um, but not follow his father's footsteps. And so that's, for me, that's one of the most important parts that I, that I like in this film. Yeah, I totally agree that, I think obviously when when you first first timers that watch this film, Vader, you know, as far as we know, he's just he's still the same old um, big bad. We know obviously now from Empire that he's got uh, familial ties with Luke, um, and so that adds a little bit of an odd dynamic. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't, I know you guys sometimes. You, you try to see these films as if you were watching it from one to six and what people would think with that sort of transition. Um, but I think, I think those who were seeing it without having the the context of one, two and three, they, it's very subtle. His, uh, when the, when the emperor arrives and the emperor can even sense, he's like, you, you are wanting to go find young Luke. Um, And Vader almost sheepishly is like, yes, my master, like 
I know you probably don't, you can probably feel the, the, the tension and the, uh, the conflict. Um, but the emperor just sees him as, has someone to gain. So he kind of just brushes over that. Um, but yeah, even looking into, you know, more of what was happening in between the movies and how much Vader was just like almost, almost just totally obsessed with finding his son. Um, and it's obvious that once, once you see them together, it's obvious that it wasn't for the purposes of turning him over to the chancellor or uh, right <laughs> to, to Palpatine um, because <laughs> chancellor back in prequels um, because I mean, he's so he, he realizes that Luke is probably going to want to resist and his, his immediate response is, you know, it's pointless to resist. Um, but I know you're going to try um, almost, almost wanting him to. Um, but yeah, seeing Vader's tone shift from, you know, the anger and hatred that we see in empire and him literally, right. You know, choking people to death left and right to now it's obvious what his, what his goal is. And he's, he's not letting any of these, um, any of these, you know, side matters that are, are trivial, get in his way um, of finding his son. So, yeah, Brady, I think you're exactly right. And I think this actually opens up the door for a very interesting uh, little miniature debate that we can have. Because uh, whenever I was watching it this time, like like you said, the there's definitely something going on there with the familial ties between Vader and Luke. Um, but I think uh, the question that I ask is, to what extent is that happening and, and when? Um, so there's a theory out there um, that says that whenever Darth Vader blocks Luke's strike against the Emperor, Vader isn't actually protecting Palpatine as much as he is protecting Luke from giving in to the dark side. What are y'all's thoughts on that? You know what? I've heard that theory and when I wa- after hearing that theory, now I can't watch that scene without thinking that. Um, just because if it was anybody else, well, I wouldn't even say that because it, it does have to do with uh, family ties. Um, but knowing that he did not want Luke to become like him, even though he was kind of pushing him towards that in terms of you have to accept it, it's your destiny. But if he wanted Luke to become like him, he lets him kill Palpatine. Because even Palpatine said, strike me down and your turn towards the dark side will be complete. So why should he stop him? So to me, he steps in to ensure that Luke doesn't become like him. What do you think, Dave? I understand where this theory is coming from, but I think it falls short. And the only reason why I think it falls short is because later on, at the end of the battle, Vader is going 
and like goading Luke with Leia mm. and saying, didn't think about that. If you don't turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And that sets Luke off to where he has this rage, this anger that the Emperor wanted him to have. Now, Luke stops himself and doesn't give in to that by finishing the job and killing Vader, but he still was goaded by Vader to turn to the dark side. And so I think that's good in theory, but I think that is one of the places that it falls short. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. And in and while we were talking about that, because to be honest, that moment didn't really cross my mind just because it's so brief um, when Luke goes to strike him down and then Vader. And then I think like literally within a couple of seconds, it, it cuts to yes. another, another part of the battle. Yeah, it does. Um, but just how, uh, and I know we've, we've talked about how, and I think the more I watch the original trilogy, the more I appreciate the the prequels and i think it's probably eventually going to happen for the sequels as well i'm not to the place where i have those right. you know on the same level you're as not far emotionally as prepared enjoyment wise um <laughs> right exactly yeah it, there's 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 not as much tied to those but just seeing and then you know what came to mind daniel when you were talking about that was you know the last time that a jedi tried to strike down uh, Palpatine, who was mm. there to protect mm. him. It was, it was Anakin. Um, but I, yeah, as far as that theory goes, I, I get a little bit of a sense of, of it because I don't think, you know, talking about that happening in, in Revenge of the Sith, that's obviously out of desperation for Anakin because he, he legitimately believes that um, Palpatine yeah. is, his, is his last hope. Um, it's his, it's a, it's a, it's a swing of desperation to cut off a Jedi fellow Jedi's arm. Um, and I don't, I don't think there was that sort of sentiment when, when Luke was there. Um, but I think taking it as far as, um, you know, he was doing it because he didn't want Luke to give in. I I think that was still somewhat, you know, Palpatine was obviously expecting that to happen. I mean, he, he was not at all concerned. He knew that he had Vader right under his finger. Um, and I don't think, I don't think it's, I really don't think it's until, you know, it finally happens that Vader really feels as though he he agrees with the sentiments he made in episode three, where he could overthrow the chancellor. Like he, once it, once it's gotten to this point, he, he realizes just how dependent on him he is. Um, oh yeah. I, I think that's actually really helpful to think about. And I appreciate you bringing up the prequels because that was one of the big things I took away from this watch is that there are so many parallels to things that happen in the prequels and specifically in revenge of the Sith. Like, um, there's a line that the emperor says with uh, with each passing moment, you make yourself more my servant. He says that to Luke, but I mean, you could easily apply that to Anakin in the prequels as well, that yeah, just because he spent so much time with Palpatine, 
it was no surprise that he fell under kind of his influence and Palpatine became his master. Um, I would say as for the discussion of the theory, uh, I have two different thoughts that are kind of opposite ends that I had, which is really weird. It just shows you how disjointed my brain is that I had two kind of realizations or revelations or things that I believe in that are directly opposed to each other in this movie. Uh, but kind of in favor of the, this Darth Vader protecting Luke, um, by blocking his attack. Uh, for some reason, whenever I watch this movie and we have the scene where, uh, Vader allows the shuttle to land on, uh, Endor. For some reason, I thought I, it really struck me that this is the singular moment where where Anakin starts to to see a possibility of defeating the Emperor. Um, mm. I, I don't have a whole lot to substantiate that other than I think that if he was completely obedient to the Emperor, he would have stopped the shuttle. Um. Mm. But then again, maybe maybe Darth Vader also suffers from overconfidence like the Emperor does. I think it's really interesting that that in this conflict between the Force users, there's only three of them, but only two of them are, are their weaknesses are described. The Emperor's weakness is overconfidence. Luke's weakness is trust in his friends. So what's Anakin's? What's Darth Vader's weakness? Um, I'm not sure, except maybe it's just Luke. Um, so that's kind of a point in favor of that theory. Um, I think more than anything else, though, kind of where I land is that theory is really it's it's really attractive because it's really feel good, and it's just kind of you you want to see Darth Vader acting in a light, but kind of no matter what happens with that, I think you raised a good point that Palpatine knows that Vader is going to protect him in some way. And so uh, it, it wasn't, I, I think it, it very well could be just Vader being so under the thumb of Palpatine that he protects him still. Um, but uh, another kind of little nugget that I draw out of this is I think in this movie, we really see the move of, I think in this movie and in, in a little bit in, in Empire Strikes Back, you see the move that Palpatine wants to replace Vader with Luke. And I think that's exactly what happens whenever he pits Luke and Vader against each other. So whenever Palpatine tells Luke to strike him down, that's not really what he wants to have happen. What he really wants to have happen is he wants Luke to kill Vader. What are y'all's thoughts on that? I think I'll go first. Um, it seems, talking from my Sith perspective that I bring, that is that could be very well true. We all know what you know the the saying is within the Sith. I don't know if it's canon or not, but it is. You you train your apprentice to overthrow you. But Palpatine seems to be of the mindset, mindset, I don't want to be overthrown. Um, I want the best apprentice possible. 
And so we see with, I mean, this might be a conversation you guys have about Count Dooku later on. But when Dooku falls, he's not concerned about it because he says, I'm going to have a new apprentice far more younger, far more powerful. Do you guys think, and this probably might be just a toss, I'm tossing a question to you guys. Do you think the same is working here? And to me, based on what we've seen in the prequels, that's what he's trying to do with Luke. Trying to make Luke his new apprentice and then just toss Vader to the side. Because we see it at the end of their fight. You know, he tells Luke to strike down Vader and become his new apprentice. Yeah, he tells Luke that so, he does he does what he does good in yeah in striking Vader down, and he's kind of egging Luke on to continue to fight right. and to and to be more aggressive to draw that dark side out of him. Yeah, I think I think Vader has well is in this equation in Palpatine's mind kind of is uh, has kind of. Right. Moved into the background almost to where Palpatine, um, you know, going back to that, that scene where he blocks Luke's attack, he, he almost knows exactly what Vader's going to do and thinks he knows exactly what Vader would do if he got his son into, you know, his throne room. Obviously, Vader is going to try to get his son to turn. And he thinks that through that, Either one, he's going to push Luke to the edge to where Luke's going to kill him, or B, Luke's just going to turn and he won't have to worry about that. Um, I don't think he thinks the latter would happen. I think he ultimately believes that Luke will strike Vader down um, just because, you know, he doesn't see in Vader what Luke sees in Vader, which is, you know, Anakin. He sees Anakin. Um, I think immediately following, um, episode three, you know, that, that person we are to watch with great interest, Anakin, that Palpatine originally sees is, is kind of gone. He's kind of reached his peak and then becomes a machine. Um, and I think Luke is the only one that still because of the the stories he heard through Obi-Wan um, of and he's tying he's finally tying those together that that cunning warrior that that you know um, that amazing um, pilot that that those human terms that he's putting to this mostly metal man Luke is now finally tying those together and seeing wow that guy is my dad um, and still realizes that if he went through all this, if he knows Obi-Wan, you know, even half as much as I know Obi-Wan, which he does, um, and has gone through, you know, as much of the Jedi way um, as I have, there's there's got to still be good left in him. Um, and, and so I think that is ultimately what the Emperor... Mm takes for granted yeah i think that's the key phrase the key phrase is what luke says to palpatine which is your overconfidence is your undoing not just overconfidence in 
how his own plans work, but I think even he tries to figure out the heart of a boy who he hasn't met, a boy who he doesn't know, because he expects Luke to be just like his father, quick to get emotional and to get attached and to be easily angered, which, I mean, he's not wrong in some instances, but what was Luke's mindset from the conversation and once these words are said, you must face Darth Vader again. His goal is not to kill Vader. His goal is to redeem him. That's what he wants. That's the intention that he has. And Palpatine expects him to want to kill Vader and to end evil whatever way possible. Mm. And I don't think he anticipates the heart that Luke has for the man that is mostly machine now. Mm. And so while I, I... I, I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement that Palpatine's plan was to always replace Vader with Luke. I think that's a hundred percent true. We see that we have the prequels now to back that, that he's always looking, excuse me. He's always looking to have the advantage every single time. And so I think that's what he was doing now, but I think it was because he thought that he knew who Luke was, mm. that he, was overconfident in his ability to turn him. Yeah. And, and as a part of that, I think, um, honestly, the one thing that I'm getting out of the recording of this podcast is that we need to have a series of just different debate, like discussion type things over different topics, um, different theories, even, or fan, um, what's it called? Headcanon. Um, yes yeah but in any case i i think another part of that is not only sure. does he uh overestimate who he expects uh luke to be based off of just the information that he gets from his dad i think luke also succeeds because of the preparedness that he has now obviously he doesn't receive all of the training that uh yoda and obi-wan would have liked him to have but from the get-go, yeah, they were telling him exactly what was going to happen. And they told him not to uh, kind of underestimate the Emperor's yeah. powers. I, in watching this, in, in watching this last time, um, because I, I, I went ahead and watched Empire when y'all did the, the rewatch of that as well. Um, seeing and kind of comparing Luke's two encounters with his father, um, obviously leading into the first um, battle, he doesn't know that that's his father. And so I think if you take the skill set and the confidence that Luke has in Return of the Jedi and you flip flop those, um, and Luke has all of that power and all of that confidence, but none of the attachment, I think he may kill Vader, um, in episode five. Um, I think it's literally just his inexperience that keeps him from killing Vader in episode five um, before he finds out that it's his father. And then obviously in episode six, I think his, his words to, to Obi-Wan is, yeah. you know, I can't kill my own father. Um, that, that rings true. And I don't think Obi-Wan doesn't, doesn't uh, negate him on that. Doesn't say, no, you have to like, he, he, he feels him on that and realizes that, you know, Luke is not, if Luke's going to turn, it's not going to be 
out of anger because that's all that Yoda and Obi-Wan have been preaching to him is you, you can't give in to anger. You can't give in no, to but hate. But you do get the, um, the classic line from Obi-Wan that um, whenever Luke realizes. So I think this, this statement is primarily about Luke and Luke and Leia being siblings. Um, but I think it also applies to um, how Luke feels about Darth Vader. But it's that um, your feelings do you credit Luke, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. And I think that's extremely important for the point that you're making. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Luke, do you have anything else to add before we kind of move on from this? I would love to add some things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's some just kind of technical things that I'm thinking about that – this is the first time that we see Ian McDiarmid as Palpatine because they couldn't yep. figure they couldn't land on an actor before mm-hmm. this time, but whenever they do, they pick a great one who is just henceforth the Galactic Empire, Emperor of the Galactic Empire. Yeah. Um, so that's really good. Uh, Jedi rocks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it up. I knew it. <laughs> I, I I I cannot stress anyways I cannot stress and so much I love that song now I will completely admit I will be the first one out there now I I also am a big fan of the special edition of the Star Wars movies like I'm okay with the added CGI that's fine. There are some things in, in the CGI for Jedi Rocks that I would not have chosen to do. <laughs> like especially are you talking about the saliva. Yeah, especially the zoom in on these these freaky alien mouths. Um, not just with the <laughs> saliva, but also with the the alien with the big lips. Uh, oh yeah, that would, yeah. would freak out a child. But I love the song. Yeah, I, I I really do. Jedi Rocks is a beggar. This song, this movie. This movie is interesting in that I think it's more subtle on the score side of things, but it has better like story music. So it has, and by that I mean like music that the characters themselves are hearing. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have Jedi Rocks, Mm -hmm. but then at the end you also have the Ewok dance music. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that's just a side point. Um, That poor Beastmaster though. (laughs) Oh yeah, so, man, he lost his baby. Uh, also, Kali. did did Luke use force choke on those Gamorrean guards? Ooh, he sure Heck did. Yeah, I did. You know why? Do you want to quote Kyle Katarn? Daniel? I would. Oh yeah, Daniel, please. What do you mean? <laughs> what he says to Jaden and Rosh at the oh, training that, room? Um, there is no light or dark. It's how you use them. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, and there's is this is especially relevant. That's incorrect. But <laughs> no, I disagree. I think it is completely correct. really. Yeah. Um. Even even within canon. In any case, uh, that, well, I fourth think, choke. Yeah. I think this I think has so, yeah. fourth choke special relevance because I think there are some people who were amazed at at Luke crushing these uh, death troopers or not the death troopers, dark troopers. Oh. Uh, and and they're like, yeah. oh, that that looks evil. Yeah. It looks like he's using like Force Crush or something. And it's like, yeah, because the powers don't, the powers aren't inherently evil. It's how you use them. 
did, it's like, did you watch yeah. the beginning exactly. of Return of the this Jedi? Very like, well established. <laughs> I think there's also an aspect of it where just kind of by what they were able to do. I think there's a lot of, I think this movie, if it was released in 2021, would look very different. Be just by special effects alone, I think they would have been able to do a lot more. Um, which which is actually kind of yeah. I don't know. Well, that, that's something. That's a completely different topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's just remind me after we finish recording that uh, there's something <laughs> I want to talk about later on uh, in a different podcast. Um, Ooh, I always love those, especially because. <laughs> Well, I won't. I won't reveal that. I'll reveal that in another podcast episode. But the post podcast podcast. Um, yeah. Two things about kind of further confirmations of things that we've already talked about in the podcast. Um, one is uh, whenever right after Yoda's death, the first thing that Luke says to R two is, "I can't do it, R two. I can't go on alone." And so, what does Obi Wan appear and say? is that Yoda will always be with you. And I think at the same time saying, I also will always be with you. Um, and which goes right into that, that theme that we talked about, about the light side and um, the, or rather the dark side tries to make you feel like you're alone. Um, but whenever you, you know that you have somebody else, that's, that's really what leads to light side actions. Um, another thing, and I cannot for the life of me remember if we talked about this on the podcast or just just in our own. Um, if you don't know, sometimes David and I will have phone calls where we essentially do a podcast, but it's not recorded. But we talk for like 30 to 40 minutes about Star Wars. Uh <laughs> And so and we literally did that on the same day that Bad you and I did that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in any case, so I don't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast, but I think um, some of the thoughts that we had about the Obi-Wan show where we theorized that Obi-Wan will um, kind of in some way contact Vader to try and bring him back to the light. I think, some aspects of that are confirmed in this movie because, or at least are open to be confirmed in this movie because Vader has this line uh, to Luke that he says, Obi-Wan once thought as you do. Now, obviously you could apply that to Revenge of the Sith, but I think we can say that at, at the, what's happening in Revenge of the Sith isn't so much Obi-Wan trying to turn Anakin I don't think I, there there are aspects of it where he's he's telling Anakin to be reasonable, um, but there's other aspects where he's going to be the light side warrior against the dark side warrior. So I think what Vader is referencing here is is something like what we talked about could happen in an Obi Wan show, where uh, Obi Wan attempts to uh, bring Vader back to light. He thinks that Vader has light within him still. And then after his failure to bring it out, that's what leads to this kind of more cynical Obi-Wan who tells Luke that he's more machine than man now. There's no way to bring him back. Can I speak to that real quick? Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, so another thing that might help that conversation is in the fact that at the end of episode three, when Obi-Wan is with Padme, 
Padme tells him there's still good in him. Mm. Wouldn't you think that that comment kind of tells Obi-Wan, maybe I should keep trying and reach him? Yeah. So I think when we get to episode six, when he said, and the, the good man that was your father ceased to exist, that might be an indication that, hey, maybe he did try. And of course, we're going to get the answer and in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. But based on what happened at the end of episode three and the answer that he gives Luke in episode six, I think that kind of confirms that. Well, and I, I think as far as Obi-Wan's concerned, at the end of episode three, I mean, mm. Anakin is literally oh, dead. Yeah. Like he, the last he saw him, he was burning to crisp. Um, and so I really, really, really hope in this Obi-Wan show that we see what his reaction was. Yeah. Cause there's gotta be some point, obviously he, when he's talking to Luke in, in new hope, he knows that Vader's his father. He knows he's still alive, all of this. Um, but we don't ever really get to see Obi-Wan's reaction to, you know, Anakin officially putting on the suit and becoming, you know, not just in in um, in action, but in in full, you know, right. all his glory, Darth Vader. Um, and so what his first experience is finding out that that's what he's become, that that's his new mantra, that's his thing. Um, and what Obi-Wan. Brady, I think that is a fantastic point. And I think you're 100% right because, I mean, we know Hayden Christensen is coming back for the Kenobi series. And so I don't know how they would end up using him unless it was something like that. I think what we're going to get is a live action version of uh, in Rebels whenever Ahsoka and Vader meet for the first time, except now with Obi-Wan. Because you're exactly right. Whenever Obi-Wan meets Vader on in A New Hope, He's completely unfazed. He knows exactly who it is and he knows exactly what he looks like. So no, I, I think you've you've got to, that 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 idea has got me further excited for this show now. Yeah, I think all of these are really, really great points. And I don't have really anything to add because I think you guys have said everything that needs to be said. Uh the next I think question that I'm going to ask and pose to everybody is what is known as probably for some the only downside to this movie but I think it's based on personal opinion what do you guys think of Ewoks I, I never understood the the problem with them now I think part of that might be that Growing up, I never watched the spinoffs of like Caravan of Courage or the Ewok show. So maybe that's had an influence on why I haven't been bothered by Ewok so much, um, which I guess we'll eventually we'll watch and talk about on here. But yeah, I don't know. It's never been an issue for me. Yeah, I think the, the you know, just childlike, you know, tone of the Ewoks once we get them. I mean, as a kid, I was just like, you know, what are these things? I, and I, yeah, Luke, I'm, I'm with you in that I, I don't really under, I mean, that's almost as, 
That's like someone saying that the sequel trilogy yeah. is ruined for them because of ports. That's a really like, good point. Yeah. I don't I don't understand. And Ewoks adds so much to the story, I think, because it's obvious that um it's obvious that at this point the biggest thing that's everyone on, on everyone's mind is the new death star and all this crazy technology that's coming forward. And, you know, these Ewoks are able to like beat the crap out of stormtroopers with, you know, nothing but some rope and wood and, uh, you know, yeah. some just throwing rocks. And at I think that's what so. rubs people the wrong way. Um, for me personally, Brady, you said it perfectly. If they weren't integral to the story, I would say, why are they in there? But the fact that they served a purpose and then it wasn't something like they overpowered um, beyond belief. Mm. But I do think the reason why people have a huge problem with it is the fact that these tiny woodland creatures are just demolishing these stormtroopers with things like they, when they're throwing rocks at, at the stormtroopers. Big rocks. You could say blunt force trauma could do it but the way these rocks are hitting these stormtroopers i'm thinking no way like they wouldn't die from that um so i guess that's what people have a problem with i don't have a problem with it i feel that they served a role in the story and it wasn't too much now the one thing that i did write down in my notes is that ewok that stole the speeder and the fact that when the stormtroopers are shooting it and he hits it and he's just unfazed and just grabs rope and goes up. I think David said it, it was it like true Jedi um, achieved like from Lego. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I said because he just gets up and just rides away. But what I was thinking at the same time was that man, Leia is so weak compared to these Ewoks because remember she gets shot want on the back of her speeder and she just falls off okay but uh, th- i think there's an aspect of it where like you could compare it to i have so many thoughts that I'm <laughs> trying to say, and hopefully i'll remember all of them but uh <laughs> first thing i would say in response to that last statement is i think you have to think about it sort of like like horse racing like in horse racing the 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 jockey that's going to be more sturdy and more able to hold on is going to be the smaller guy. And so I, I think it's not so much that Leia's weak. It's just that she's not like as little of these as, and stout as these guys are. Um, so, but yeah, I, that's, it is, it is a funny thing. And maybe we could talk about how that Ewok is a force sensitive Jedi. If we had, more time. <laughs> uh, Didn't I say he was like probably force sensitive? <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that is what you said, and that's why I said true Jedi achieved. Yeah, nice. Um, in any case, uh, uh, for the rock comment, and I know that, and, and believe me, I know that I fully believe you whenever you said it doesn't bother you for the rocks. Like that's no, okay, and I'm one hundred percent with you. But for people who that is a problem. There are like four or five scenes where it's clearly shown that what the Ewoks are trying to do doesn't work. <laughs> like they try to trip yes. them. They try to yeah. drop the rocks off the ATST and it does nothing. But then whenever they drop the rocks from like on a regular trooper from the sky, that actually does something. Um, yeah. And don't they try to hammer the feet 
of yeah <laughs> exactly well and they try like they, they try to hammer it they try to trip the atsd but just end up getting pulled along by it uh yeah yeah so so they're not they're not these overpowered people not one bit no it's it's not but wow We've been talking about Wait, hold on. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> hold on, long, I want to say two more time. things about Ewoks. Okay, go for it. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> I guess you could cut this out if you want. Uh, I feel like there's probably something that's going to be added to the blue, the extras, the extra reel. But um, two of the things that I think Ewoks really add to this movie in is the firstly in giving a reason to have C-3PO kind of retell the story. Um, I think that is a great scene where you get to yeah. see hear oh, these uh, yeah. Star Wars sound effects go on. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 humorous. It's, it's heartwarming, and I I think it's a good way to end a a trilogy. I'm a, <laughs> I almost a Trinity, which is oh no, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, completely different. Um, yeah, but it's a good way to end a trilogy by looking back at what has already happened. Um, yeah. And then the second thing is I think the inclusion of Ewoks all throughout the thing is completely made up um, by the, the scene where you see the two Ewoks get shot by an ATST and one of them the doesn't. Saddest scene in Star Wars. One of them, Changing my mind. <laughs> one of them doesn't Order get back 66? up no? and his, his brother goes over to, to pull him up off the ground. And he's gone. Uh, Tears. <laughs> what? That's the sound that he makes when when his brother doesn't wake up. Brother. Uh, <laughs> brother. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's a perfect, perfect uh, imperson- impersonation. <laughs> I'm so good at voices, guys. Okay. That's all I have to say about Ewoks. Okay, great. Because we got to go. But anyway, <laughs> this is... This, this has been a really, really great conversation. And honestly, we could talk about Return of the Jedi for another hour. Uh, but as we're wrapping up our time here together, I just want us to go through and just for the sake of time, uh, let's combine favorite character, favorite scene, maybe favorite track of the score if you have one. Oh, yeah. But let's start with uh, Daniel, Brady, Luke, and then I'll finish it off. Yeah, I think my favorite character in this film is Darth Vader. For me, just because of what we know from the prequels and knowing what needs to happen towards the end of this film is the reason why. And he struggles with being called to like like Ben in the sequels um, and ultimately needing that push um, to get there. Um, my favorite scene of the movie. It really has got to be the scene with Yoda and Luke because it's just so heartwarming and it's one of those scenes where you can kind of get emotional watching it because from what we know from Yoda and the prequels, Clone Wars, Rebels, and anything really in Star Wars media, and then seeing him as an old man getting ready to accept his fate and joining the, the Force. And so to me, that's my favorite scene. Uh, favorite moment of the score, it's got to be that final flurry between vader and luke at the end um just that score that that score matches perfectly with the emotion and the tension that we're in uh when luke is just wailing on darth vader so for me those are my three yeah 
Um, yeah, I've been sitting here trying to pinpoint who my favorite character is. Um, and I, I don't really know if I have one. Um, I think obviously Luke is great in this film and I think it's great to see a more mature, more confident, um, I think Luke, if you look at a new hope Luke and this Luke that we get, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty solidly different. Um, and even when he, you know, comes to the awareness that Leia is his sister, um, just the maturity that he has in that situation. And, and, you know, even Leia can tell something's up with him and he still is like, you know, let me talk to you about this later. Um, just the, the effort to be able to, you know, like you were saying, Luke, bury those feelings and not let that take him to the dark side. Um, I just, this, this three movie arc that Luke has, I think is awesome. Um, favorite moment. Um, hmm. Favorite moment of this film. I am. I'm going to have to say just kind of um, Han and Leia's back and forth in this film, I think is oftentimes overlooked. Um, I remember the first time I realized when they were echoing episode five and Leia says, I know to the response of, I love you from Han, just Han. And I mean, it's obvious Harrison Ford didn't really want to be in this movie. Um, but I, I think, jo I think George still did a great job at, you know, wrapping, tying a bow on his character. Um, I think when he comes out of um, the uh, hibernation in the, in, in Jabba's palace, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different Han Solo. He's a lot more, um, a lot more <laughs> mushy gushy and attached to the, the, the actual mission that they're on and the actual point of it all. Um, he, he's gone from, you know, being a guy who just like last second wanted to join the battle and, you know, saves the day to, you know, no, I'm fully invested in this. And so, um, I think that, that back and forth between, um, Han and Leia, um, there on Endor, it's probably my favorite moment. Although I love this movie. This is actually my favorite of all of, um, the Star Wars movies. Um, a lot, a lot because of just nostalgia. And then after this rewatch, it's, it's maintaining that really well. Um, the part of the score that I love, I mean, it's, for me, it's gotta be that celebration at the end. Um, it's just a, it's just a great, um, tone shift from, uh, from John Williams. Uh, I think you're right, Luke, in that all the way throughout this, there's, there's very, John Williams is very moment oriented with the tracks that he has um, in that he, you know, there's, there's not really any two, two pieces throughout this, this score that, you know, are saying the same thing. It's all, it's all very meticulously written and um, very much so tailor made to the moment of the movie that it appears. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, as for my kind of answer to what's my favorite part of this, I'm actually going to go into an area that we haven't really talked about this 
for this um, movie. Uh, I my favorite part of this movie is uh, actually the space scenes um, at the Battle of the Second Death Star. And yeah, and, that's a great great thing to yeah, bring up. And, and whenever I think about Return of the Jedi, I more often than anything else think about Lando, and so I'll, I'll say that he is my favorite one in this movie. Um, just because I, you know, I always think of that line like, but how could they be jamming us if they don't know if we're coming? And then you see this, like the brilliance of him figuring this out and, and warning everybody before they crash into the shield. And then, um, you know, obviously Admiral Ikebar is also great. Um, I, I, I just, I'm a big fan of the space sections in this movie and the kind of, it's a trap. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think because they're, all the major characters are really on indoor until Luke is on the Death mm-hmm. Star. Um, we kind of glossed over the space section a little bit, but uh, I think uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things about this movie. Um, as for the score, though, uh, probably one of my favorite, at least kind of stings or moments, is um, the variation on the Imperial March that you get whenever uh you're taking the helmet off of darth vader it's like real slow mm, and, and that is and a sad perfect, and kind of spooky but mm-hmm. um I, i'm a big pick. fan of that part yeah. wow yeah that's awesome that's amazing uh very quickly I, I would say my favorite character in this movie was luke skywalker because of the scene that is my favorite which is luke and vader before they head to see the emperor it's that back and forth of just father you can't do this i feel the conflict within you let go of your hate and vader says it's too late for me my son and then also we hear we we see vader say you don't know the power of the dark side i must obey my master again it's when we talk about in the Sith code in that episode where you're talking about, you know, my chains are broken. No, the chains are very much still there. And Vader is highlighting that in this conversation, but it's the fact that Vader won't, or Vader is the fact that Luke won't give up on his father. Um, and is still trying to reach him. And I think even though he says that my father is truly dead, he still hasn't given up no, on his all. father. Yeah. Um, I think that was something that was supposed to make Vader kind of think, yeah. And, you know, have his gears turning in his head. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was my favorite scene. Luke is my favorite character. And I think this movie, ooh, I'm going to reveal it. I'm going to say it. And we won't, probably won't talk about it in the near future. So our listeners are going to have to sit on this for a while. But this movie made me rethink and and has made me decide to say that Luke Skywalker is the greatest Jedi of all time. I will explain that in my next report. <laughs> but, yes. but uh, and I think my favorite piece, honestly, there's, there's so many good ones. I mean, you have Han Solo Returns. Go listen to these. Han Solo Returns, Rebel Briefing, The Emperor, Ewok Celebration and Finale. But, For me, what is one of the best pieces in Star Wars, period, is Luke and Leia. 
go listen to that. It is a beautiful melody. It is a beautiful, beautiful piece that John Williams has put together. So please go listen to that. Um, thank you, Brady and Daniel, for joining us as we talked through Return of the Jedi in this rewatch series. We just, we're, we're so happy to have guests that can come on and that we can just talk through Star Wars stuff and talk about these movies in great length. And so thank you guys both for being on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering, like, who's going to speak first? You, you talk, talk first, first, I talk, talk first. first. Yeah. yeah. Wow, y'all are the worst. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fun uh, being able to talk. Being my my second rodeo, it was it was awesome. I love getting to talk with you guys, Luke. It was great to have you here. Last time I was, you know, true. having to having to jump in for you. And I honestly was just sad. I didn't get to, to talk with you. I love having back and forth with you about star Wars. Um, and it's, it's always, always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you guys both. And Luke, we say this pretty much every single time we make an episode, but it's always an honor to be a co-host with you on the star Wars historians. Yeah. And we announced a couple of weeks ago, I yeah. think, that we are now having our own show, the Star Wars Historian Show, presented by the Gazebo Effect Network. We're really excited. The schedule is going to look different. Luke and I are really uh, busy people. We got lives that we got to live, but we still love to be able to record content and talk about Star Wars. And so while we may not have like a set schedule, we will be releasing content. It's just going to be whenever we have time. Uh, and th that way we just we just don't, overwork ourselves as we continue to live life but also love yeah. life and, and as well. to kind of love so that we love the work that we're doing you know you don't want it to get yes, we do. bogged down by schedules mm. um, schedules can be great but if they're causing you to to hate what you're doing <laughs> no good um, but yeah yeah i yeah. would just like to echo that um i love getting to talk about star wars with my peeps and i love all three of you boys so for Luke Forney, this is David Gonzalez here on the Gazebo Effects podcast for the Star Wars Historians. And until next time, when we cover The Force Awakens, may the Force be with you.